What if your life was suddenly turned upside down one day? And within hours, doctors were saying you were going to die. And then someone came along and said, let's try and save you. This is what happened to Tyron Lee Harding or TLH. Tyron went through exactly this and he survived. So far in this series of Public Speaker World, we've heard from people who have found topics that they developed into talks and into brands. They came to it with nothing but curiosity. But there's another type of speaker out there in the speaking industry. Those who have stories to share about incredible experiences, which have provided incredible lessons that are helping to inspire and educate others. TLH is not an athlete. He's not an astronaut. He's a real person just like you and me but someone who went through something truly extraordinary. But going through something extraordinary doesn't just make you a speaker, as we're about to find out. Not only do you need to recover from the events in your life, but you also need to learn to speak to people. Through that process though, Tyra learned a lot, which he is about to share with us today. This is Public Speaker World, a show where I dive deep into the professional public speaking industry to hear how ordinary people like you and me became professional speakers, developing brands and businesses around them. This episode is called quite simply, The Powerful Story Speaker. In my experience, there's this common theme among speakers that speak on adversity. It is not that we control everything that happens in our lives, but in fact that there are things we cannot control and there's no point worrying about those specific things. What is important is focusing on what you can control because that will make your life worthwhile. I could easily have focused on all the negative things that have happened, but instead I focus on the positive things, the things I still have control over, and that is what drives me forward um, towards the goals that I still have. Why do you think it is that bit of your talk that grabs people the most? I think we all tend to be problem focused so when a problem arises we focus on it and this is what's happening this is what i have to deal with in my case it was i was shot and paralyzed so my legs don't work anymore they just refuse to listen to me and if i focused solely on the fact that i could no longer walk i could no longer run i could no longer climb stairs then nothing i would have done in the last five years would have been worthwhile why do you think that works with people though that haven't been through that? Because the moment you said that, that that drew me in again, and I start thinking to myself, okay, I've not been through anything like you've been through, but you know, we all have troubles in our lives. And you think, is, is that why do you think? Is it because it's relatable to whatever experience of bad stuff you've had? Absolutely. I mean, my case is an extreme one, but we all suffer from traumatic experiences from negative things in our lives, whether it is, you know, job insecurity or relationships falling apart. And it doesn't matter whether your stress is going through divorce or whether it is, you know, some traumatic event. The process is the same, is you have to deal with the feelings that you're feeling. And I think that's universal to us all. We understand if I have a problem, I tend to do this thing. It's not that if I get shot and paralyzed, this is what will happen. It's a case of this is a problem. What that problem is and how we experience it is unique to us. 
Now you touched on it already, but tell us a little bit of your backstory because I love to find out how people went from something, that key moment that changed everything to them ending up speaking. So give us a little bit of that backstory for us. So five years ago on the 16th of February, 2016, I was shot in an attempted home invasion in my home. Essentially single bullet wound to the lower abdomen. The bullet had broken up into pieces and caused the spinal cord to actually damage inside the spine. So the shockwave is what damaged the spinal cord. There was no physical damage to the spine, the actual bone, but immediately my legs gave out and there's a whole medical experience that goes from that. But essentially what happens is nine weeks later, I leave the ICU for the first time and I go to a rehab facility where I now have to learn to use a wheelchair. And I started experiencing things to basically have to adapt to a whole new life. And for a lot of people, it would be the negative focused issue. For myself, I was just happy to be alive. The true joke I always make is I would choose a wheelchair over a hearse any day. Mm. And that is the outlook I had from the get go. So I was happy to be alive. I didn't care that I was in a wheelchair. No, it was not easy. It was quite frustrating. There were a lot of emotional aspects to it, but I kept a positive outlook. And one of my medical suppliers actually noticed this. And she said, she actually asked me, do I not want to come give a talk to the conference that she's busy organizing? Now I'm an introvert by nature. So speaking to- I was going to say, had you ever done anything like that before? never in my life i do not like like i said speaking to more than five people at once was traumatic and overwhelming for me but when i finished that talk i realized i enjoyed this i enjoyed being able to share my story to help other people and then when i found out most people get paid to do this i thought wait wait so i did that for where was the money i want some money next time (laughs) oh like people actually make a living out of this you know i can help people and get paid for it like it's fantastic and then i started you know giving more and more talks just as a part-time deal and one of my very good friends ross saunders at that stage was a chapter president in the professional speakers association Now, we've never spoken about him speaking or being part of the association until the one day, like we were actually at a party and I said to him, yeah, so I did this thing over the weekend where I spoke at a conference. Like, Oh, you know that I'm part of the speaking association. You should come check it out. Three years later, here I am. I'm now chapter president of the same chapter. And yeah, it's now my life, my career. It is everything I do and enjoy, to be honest. So how did you transition into that, that paid element of it then? Um, well, I was lucky enough that no one wanted me in my previous career in a wheelchair. So I used to be a occupational health and safety officer. And apparently no one wants a guy in a wheelchair on a construction site. There's something about a risk issue. I don't know why. It's almost like I was the one writing those risk assessments, but who knows? And slowly but surely, it would become evident that this is something that's happening more frequently. I'm giving more talks. I think in the beginning, everyone struggles with what do I charge? How do I charge? Do I charge per hour? Is it a 
you know, a keynote? Is it facilitation that I'm giving? Is it what is it that we're offering? And the longer I stayed in the Speakers Association, the more I could learn about this and the more I could adapt my own business model to that. And that's something I find amazing is that we're in this industry where you know, people who are technically our competitors are sharing what they're doing, sharing their information. You have a question they're willing to answer. So, you know, no one, I don't think there's anyone that has the purely identical business models, but we all figure out what works for us. And that has been a process to get to the point where I realize I'm not just a keynote speaker, I actually enjoy facilitation as well. Tell me about one of your most memorable moments of doing this. It sounds like you've had quite a few along the way, but what's that one that really sticks in your head as being something that you just have to tell everyone or, or you love, it makes you smile every time? Um, for speakers, there's something specific that I like is we always talk about you have to find your niche. Now, in the beginning, I speak on adversity and overcoming adversity. That's a very blanket, broad approach. I obviously, obviously speak on disability. That is a very small niche, but that's not everything I do. It's, I still want to incorporate the adversity with my life experience. And I'm part of a group that basically incorporates all of this together, where during lockdown, myself and another professional speaker who also has a disability, we decided to start a weekly get together for, you know, online on Zoom for people with disabilities and without disabilities to create a social environment that we could support each other through the lockdowns that we were experiencing and all the emotional trauma and everything that came with that. And I think about a year in, I gave a couple of talks on different things, but we had a week where we didn't have a speaker. So I thought, well, I spoke to my friend and I said to him, I'm currently busy doing a lot of research into post-traumatic growth. It's something interesting that came up in the studies that I was doing. And I thought, you know, the other people in the uh, meetings and that could learn something from it. After that talk, it was that click moment. I realized this is one of the things I want to go into. This is my niche. Trauma is something we all experience in varying degrees. I always say we tend to think of this as black or white. You either have, you know, PTSD or you're okay. But that space in between is just trauma. And we have that. We experience that. And to find that I can help people with this thing just because we didn't have a speaker. I literally found my niche by absolute chance. When I finished that talk, I messaged my partner, the friend um, in that meeting that we had. I said, I just found my niche. This is what I want to do. I can help people with what I'm learning. And it's, fu it's it was funny. That was the thing that grabbed me about you when I first started researching you. It That one phrase summed it up and then I started watching you. And it's, it, it is interesting how you fell into that. And yet it connected with me instantly. I'm glad to hear that. But that's exactly the case is a lot of the people in the disability world that I speak to, I don't know if disability world is the correct term, but we, we all share that experience. It's post-traumatic growth. When I finished that talk, I had a whole group of them say, yeah, every time you listed, you have this benefit, you have that benefit. They felt that in their own life. 
And that's great. It's across the board for, again, those with disabilities and those without. We experience things and it does have a lasting effect. Sometimes that effect can be positive and that positive effect can be nurtured. Tell us a bit about how speaking is part of your business. You know, I mean, is it a hundred percent? Is it a part? Is it, does it support other elements of it? How does speaking fit in for you? So up until recently, I considered myself a keynote speaker. That was my title that I gave myself. And I'm realizing that's not the case. I am more of a conduit for knowledge. And the knowledge that I have is just what I experienced in my own life, mixed with the new things that I'm learning, the research that I'm finding, and trying to get that information out to people that need it most. So, you know, speaking is how I communicate that information, whether it be online video content, whether it be in-person events, hosting webinars, that sort of thing. It's time to pull away from Tyron for a moment. By the way, there is no need to make any notes on what Tyron is saying because I'm going to be summing this all up at the end of the show. And we'll be back to Tyron in just a few moments' time to hear more about how he's expanding his offering, what he does, and how he's expanding his business. But before I do that, as always, halfway through the interviews, I'd like to share a few things about the professional speaking world that I've been learning. The first one goes back to a lesson that has been running through every episode so far, and that is about networking. You know, I have been selected to speak at uh, one, well, one of the biggest WordPress events in the world, which is WordCamp EU, and it's taking place in Porto, in Portugal, in June. And while I've got some experience talking about podcasting, which is what I'm talking about, and how you can develop that within the WordPress ecosystem, of the website ecosystem, it's pretty clear from talking to people that it's because people had heard of me before that they said, okay, he would be a good speaker on this. He knows his stuff. He can talk about it. And I think that is probably what's tipped it over. I don't know for sure, but it's about like with the whole of the speaking industry is that it feels like networking is in many ways, providing you've got the credibility, you can deliver a talk, you're memorable and all this sort of thing, providing you've got those, the networking is absolutely crucial to getting you those opportunities to get into it. So this is something that I'm feeling firsthand now. A track record, that's another thing that I've been spotting. I was reading a guide on booking speakers this week, and it said to look at their track record. And in this sense, what they were talking about here was, has this person spoken at events that have a similar demographic and niche to the audience that are coming to your particular event? Because if they have been to similar events and they've been invited back, they clearly appeal to that type of person. Of course, it's a classic catch-22. You know, if someone is starting out, how do you build up that reputation? Maybe it's networking again and uh, getting to know the people in that industry. But it's about building that track record. So showing what events you've been at before. And the final thing I found this week actually was an interesting one was about words and about how they can show a lack of confidence. Now, the most obvious thing you think about when I say that is, well, what about words like um, uh, and the obvious things like that. But what they were saying that actually is more than that. It's also with the way that you refer to your material. Because if you say something like, uh, let's say, for example, you look at a slide and you go, well, looking at this, it looks a bit like, you know, the figures could be something like this. Or maybe you say, some people have said this, but I'm not sure if it's true. The problem with this 
is it doesn't sound like you've done your research and it doesn't sound like you're confident in the data you're delivering to the audience. And the result of that is that it brings into question your entire credibility. So the article I was reading was making it very clear that when you prepare your talk, be confident in those figures. Don't then question them in front of people because it will send a message to the audience that you're wasting their time with stuff that hasn't been properly researched and you don't really know what you're talking about. Right, let's get back to Tyron. And I was asking him about how he was developing his business and how he was looking at other ways of bringing more money into what he was doing and sharing the information that he has and helping other people. So let's hear more of what he says. And don't forget, by the way, by the at the end of the show, I'm going to round up all the key points that I got from listening to Tyron. It's how to get information out there. I'm currently busy working on online courses because that is a way to package all that information in a teachable manner and get that out to people in a fairly broad sense that a lot of people can access that info because I mentioned it to you before is I don't like that we have all this wonderful information in the research academics that is just not being spread to the rest of the world the people that yeah, not accessible enough most. at times as well as we were saying earlier wasn't it yeah exactly it's not accessible yeah. and it can help so many people it's so remarkable what's coming out in the research just ways in which we can thrive but what is the point of this if we don't share that information mm -hmm. so i'm not the best person i don't know everything but what i do know i package in a way that is easily accessible and can be shared with people and i think I that's what you the said yeah, I, I love the way you said that, because uh, this was something another speaker was telling me in, in one of these interviews, is that the worst thing to think of if you're going into speaking is to be a speaker. You've got to think about what are you going to give. And in your sense there, yeah. you're saying here, is, you're elaborating on that word give, and you're saying, how can I give this information? And whatever is the best way or multiple ways, I can do that. Yeah, I think when you go into this professionally, you always look at what is the best way to engage with the audience? Now you engage with the audience online virtually so that they pay attention so that they can absorb the information. That is why we do it. So everything we do, we try and think of the outcome for the attendees. What do they get out of it? And if I'm going to be sitting with a slideshow with a thousand words running behind me, people are going to zone out, log off, pick up the cell phone and we need to keep the information retainable. So you don't want an overload of information, but you want it enough to make a difference in their life. Let's talk about online and the virtual world, which obviously COVID helped everyone suddenly find themselves in. How has it changed what you do and how did you adapt to it? Well, as an introvert, it suits me perfectly. It means that I can sit behind my computer all day and make a living. I can share the information and I don't have to be stuck in traffic. Apparently my patience for traffic has <laughs> diminished since ending up in a wheelchair, but right. it's amazing before COVID came along, we all thought to ourselves, virtual online speaking does not exist. There was like 10 people in the entire world that could do it efficiently, but they did it for their specific niches, their own groups. We didn't have that as, as a general rule. When COVID came and they said, 
Okay, lockdown, you cannot have more than 20 people in a room or whatever the case is. We all went, I make a living off having hundreds of people in a room. What do I do now? And there was this sudden urge to do everything or nothing. We saw people kit out their garages with full on studios. We saw people speaking in front of a laptop using a phone for the first time. And the important thing is, it doesn't matter where you are now. Yeah, so I'm part of the PSASA, Professional Speakers Association of Southern Africa, and I run the Virtual and Hybrid Speakers Mastermind. And the important thing there is we look at what you're doing now and what the next step is. At our convention, we had guys come in with full-on ATEM mini setups, full you know, DSLR cameras and that kind of thing. And our people were overwhelmed and I said, do you need that right now? Mm. If not, then just focus on the next thing. Is a webcam already a huge improvement in your speaking? Do you look better and more professional? Mm. So it's a process. I've taken a year to get to the point where I am now. I'm still not happy with where I am. There's still things I'm upgrading and looking at doing. But the online presentation for me, I love technology. It just doesn't always love me. That is apparent. <laughs> I think we can all relate to that one. <laughs> exactly. But suddenly I went from being a local South African speaker who spoke mostly in my area to sitting in front of a camera behind a screen and becoming a global speaker. Last week I gave a presentation to people from Australia, Philippines, America, and there was one other country on that list. But suddenly I can consider myself a global speaker just because this is now out on the internet. It's opened up the opportunities as well. I mean, let's talk about that from a, a marketing point of view as you as a speaker. Now you are in South Africa, but you've, you've gone on this virtual journey around the world as well. And you're clearly very much in demand, but how did you let people know you were there? I think one of the great things is if you look at, so I like looking at the, and I don't like using the term, but looking at the influencers. So people on YouTube, on Instagram, they do something amazing. They make video content and they get millions of people to watch this video content. So as an online speaker, this is what we actually want. So we look at this and we go, what can we learn from them is you know, things like from YouTube is they talk about cutting out all the fluff. In YouTube speak, you have a certain amount of time in a video. If you ramble on too long, you know, the person can easily skip to the next video. You have to retain their attention. And I think it's, it's interesting. There's a article that came out or research that came out in 2015 that said our attention span has dropped from 12 seconds down to eight seconds in 15 years. And it doesn't mean that we have to do something interesting every eight seconds, but it does mean that we need to keep it interesting for those people to actually take up the information. So I'm still finding my way in online marketing with my content creation and that kind of thing. But I do think for speakers, the most valuable thing is video content. You need to have video out there of you speaking. Otherwise, people don't know that's what you do. Mm. Let's talk about the worst moment in your speaking career where something went horrendously wrong, but you found a way through it. Tell us about that. 
goodness. <laughs> you think that there would be forefront, but now I've actually got to think about what that experience would be. I pride myself on the fact that I'm a virtual speaker. I've been spending a year on the technology in OBS, updating everything, trying to become good. And in one of the meetings that I was in, I was trying to share some valuable information and my mic wasn't working. So it's simple, but that alone was an indicator to myself that not everything's going to go right. It turns out the software I used to um, reduce the background noise was just set to the wrong microphone, but it took me five minutes to figure that out. And essentially I come back flustered because I've just spent five minutes trying to figure this out so that I could share information. And I'm supposed to be uh, an expert, not an expert, but a specialist in online speaking. And when I came back, I realized and I said to them, sometimes things are going to go wrong, mm -hmm. but it's not whether you, you know, never stuff up. It's how you recover after you stuff up. I do a thing on my wheelchair where I like to pop wheelies all the time. It's why my company is called The Pivot Point, is I'm on my back wheels more than anything else. And I've, I've been asked many times, how many times have you fallen? I said, it doesn't matter. The point is I always get back in my chair if I do. And it's the same concept here is I could very easily have just focused on the fact that I just hit my name with a plank because no one could hear me. I'm supposed to be this specialist. And I thought, you know what? Sometimes things are going to go wrong. But yeah, you I utilized it said, beautifully. Yeah. yeah, this is a lesson I just learned. Maybe you should look into it the next time you speak. Yeah. And the greatest moment you've had standing in front of people. So it's actually the like I've given quite a few talks since then, but the third talk I ever gave was to that, that friend who asked me to do the convention for the medical group. Mm -hmm. I gave the talk to their local convention, basically. Then their national convention came along a couple of months later and she asked me to give my talk there. So I gave a talk at their national convention and it's for medical case managers. And my case manager was in that group. So she was the person that when I was in ICU in a coma, mm. every time something happened, it would go through the medical aid and they would have to sign off and decide. Essentially, what I said to them is you make decisions based on people's lives, mm -hmm. but also based on what the company's outcomes are. They want specific outcomes. That's what case managers do is they weigh up is this worthwhile investment into this person? Is it not? And to actually make them appreciate the fact that at the end of the day, you make a difference in people's lives, but you never get to meet them. But at the end of the day, they help people literally survive traumatic ordeals. And my case manager was actually in that audience and she could actually meet me and realize she had a positive outcome on my life. She literally saved my life. I went through multiple medical procedures because she had signed off on it and she had decided that it was a viable option for me. Now to put in context, when I got into, well, I was airlifted by paramedics to the hospital. When I got there, they gave me a 3% chance of survival. So yeah, I shouldn't be here. Apparently I'm a little bit of an anomaly when it comes to statistics. But I was given a 3% chance of survival. So what this woman did made a difference in my life. And I could actually think her. 
in person. And to show that what they do is important and that it yeah. creates a lasting effect on people's lives. And I hope to have some form of lasting effect on their lives. I think that's essentially what it comes down to is we're able to make a difference in people's lives by sharing information that can really help them. Wow. That's, that's, it's immense. Um, I've only got one final question for you, which is that, you know, you, you've, you've given us so much incredible stories and information today. Can you just tell us a little bit about your talk, your main talks, how people get hold of you and, and where you're available, stuff like that. Anything you want to share? Sure. Thank you. I just want to say thank you for the opportunity. As yeah. you know, my main focuses are overcoming adversity as well as focusing on trauma and how to get people going from a traumatic experience, not just to recovery, but to post-traumatic growth. And then to focus on disability integration as well, because I found when I became a person with a disability, there was barely any awareness and absolutely no integration in my immediate surroundings. And I think that is the ultimate goal is it's all from my life experiences that I can take the information, everything new I've learned, and I can educate other people on these topics. If people want to find me, I am on almost every single social media and platform. I am on LinkedIn under Tyron Harding. I am on Facebook and Instagram under both my name and my business name. So either Tyron Harding Professional Speaker or The Pivot Point. My YouTube channel is The Pivot Point, but you can also just find me much easier by searching my name on YouTube. And I'm going to be doing even TikTok soon because I'm finding a large group of my target audience on there. It's the weirdest Super. thing. But yeah, wherever you look for my name, you should be able to find me. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for doing this today. Really appreciate you sharing so much with us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the offer to be here and I hope you do well. So there we go. Tyron Lee Harding, TLH, amazing speaker and what an unbelievably powerful story as well. It's, it's just really hard to even imagine going through something like that. But it also shows, though, that for people that have been through uh, confidence crushing experiences, if there's something to pull out of that that can be shared with others, then boy, he, you know, he really turned it around on that one. I promised to round up the key points that I got out of listening to Tyrant, so let's do that now. So number one is it doesn't matter if you're an introvert. If you have something interesting to say that people want to hear, people will want to hear it from you. And to go straight on from that, if you can share something people want that will genuinely help them, particularly in their business, then you can charge for it too. People want to pay for your time if you can deliver real value to them. This is something that every speaker I've interviewed so far has said. Joining a speakers association or a group will help you work out what you can charge and feel confident asking for. So knowing other speakers who are in that space, you're already asking for it, and that gives you the confidence. Public speaking is a welcoming industry, he said. I totally agree with that one. I've made so many good friends from this one. There's a lot of different topics, but the principles are similar and people are happy to share. Create a social group around you, was Tyron's advice, online or offline, and make it social. So share ideas, but also provide free content. It's not a place to broadcast what you do, but to share ideas. And you never know what you can learn or who you might meet as a result of that. That's something that I'm certainly doing with my other podcast as well. 
If you're struggling to find your niche, talk about your topic to people in conversation or in talks and see what they're reacting to. What's the, what's their eyes? See what they ask you about. See what the questions are they ask you about afterwards. The more people you speak to, the faster you can find out. So get on with it. Even if you've got very small audiences, just go and talk to people and find out what they react to. Don't just talk about what everyone else talks about. Find your own unique twist on things. See what others say and ask yourself, this is where he was suggesting you do it, and ask yourself, what can I say that is different based on my experiences? Why do I think that things are different or need a different perspective? Be unique, be you. Should you give keynotes or workshops, etc.? Well, Tyron was saying, try them all. Find out what you feel most comfortable with. You know, are you that motivational speaker or are you that person that wants to sit down with a group of people and help them do something specifically in a workshop environment? Think about scale. How can you help more people? Would an online course work, for example? Certainly, they're becoming more and more popular online courses now. What about academic research that's out there in your field that doesn't fit the standard view? Being different again can be really useful in trying to stand out as a speaker. So what research out there can back up your views or your point of view or help to explain the experience that you've been through that challenges convention? A lot of academics are not good communicators to the public, even though they've got cutting edge ideas. So could you be the person who shares that valuable information with others in a way they can consume? Just a couple more points I got from it. If you want to become a speaker, don't think about how to be a speaker, but about what you can give. Speaking is just one way of delivering information. Three more to go. If you've not considered being a virtual speaker yet, think about it as a way to go. You can go from being a speaker in your own country to being an international speaker overnight, he was saying. When you're creating your talk, remember that the attention spans of audiences is dropping more and more, and they're lower than ever in virtual talks. In an auditorium, they can look down at their phones very easily. In a virtual talk, they can just turn away, assuming that everyone else is watching or turn off their camera. You need to keep people's attention or you're going to fail at the business. And finally, remember that things will always go wrong at some point and they'll be the things you never planned for. It will happen, says Tyron. So prepare to roll with the punches from the start because it will happen. If the slides and the notes go down, one way to get around that is to invite people to just ask you questions. Next time, almost every speaker in this show is an English speaker. Maybe not as a first language, but they're very confident and very proficient in that language, which gives you that impression that the speaking world is just an English speaking one. Well, it's clearly not. This is public speaker world, this show. And I wanted to get someone in here whose first language was not English and someone that speaks a lot in a different language as well. His name is Raul Anton, and he's really focused in the Spanish speaking world, does a lot of speaking in English as well. But it was a great opportunity to find out a bit more about how other languages are working and how similar the speaking industry is and some of the differences too. So my guest next time, will be telling us about speaking around the world in public speaker world. Join me then.